The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. My listeners are by now very aware that I attended and Wild Eye sponsored the 30th Anniversary Performing Animal Welfare Society, or PAWS, conference where the topics and panels covered the entirety of captive wildlife issues, which we are going to cover here on Our Wild World. Founded in 1984 by former Hollywood animal trainer and author Pat Derby and her partner Ed Stewart, PAWS has led the charge in animal welfare the requirements of sanctuary and advocacy for animals in captivity. But right now, we have the distinct honor to hear from the man himself, Ed Stewart, a multi-talented and skilled gentle man, who with humor and aplomb has carried pause from its humble beginnings to an international organization that is shifting our human mindset, the legislation and landscape that surrounds the very human and state of affairs of how and why we humans have in the past and can for now and the future reevaluate our penchant for keeping wildlife in captivity. So without further ado, welcome Ed. Well, it's great to be here, Ellie. It's it's such a pleasure to have you. I know it's a crazy time of year. You have a lot of animals waiting for you and having to look after, and I understand you're having some severe weather, so we'll carry on as best as we can. Okay. So, so let's start by um, a little background about you, and then we'll move into pause. And um, But what got you started? Somewhere along the line, you became interested in animals and their welfare. Give us a little bit of that story. Right. Um, well, in, in, I was born in Chicago and lived in Detroit and Cleveland most of my youth. Um, and my father was from Tupelo, Mississippi, and he was a, a Mississippi farm boy. And they uh, had a lot of animals on the farm when he was uh, a kid. And, and um, so he taught me that they were a tremendous responsibility. And he, he always said that any of us, uh, we had five kids in the family, any of us could have a pet, a dog or a cat. And, uh, but the requirement was that in the morning you got up, you brushed the dog, you walked the dog, you cleaned up after the dog. 
you fed the dog, you made enough money for the vet bills, and, and then if you had enough time in the morning, you could eat breakfast before you went to school. So, so res- responsibilities came first. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it was a simple, it was black and white for us. Um, my sister had a dog, and I early on thought, you know, the best way to, to do this, if, if I want to play with a dog, I'll play with my sister's dog. I, I really did not want to, resp- I didn't have time for, you know, I played sports and I went to school and I had a, a, about the most normal Midwestern life you could uh, describe back in the 60s, uh, uh, 50s and 60s uh, growing up. And I I just knew that uh, I, I didn't have time for a dog and it was too much of a responsibility. I, I wish more people... Um, were brought up like that and and made better choices about having animals because so many of them wind up being given up or 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 even worse absolutely even worse especially back in the 60s we had a very different attitude toward our mentality and why we had pets it was a lot more about entertainment so i'm sure through today's episode we're going to get a bit more into that because that is really the foundation and the mission of pause is to change that mindset so growing up in the midwest um how did you meet pat give us a little bit of that story and how that ended up really changing your life and putting you on a completely, I'm not going to say completely different path, but a very different animal path. Right. Well, I, I, uh, I went to uh, college at, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee at the University of Tennessee, graduated uh, from the College of Communications and, and uh, specialized in advertising and journalism. Um, wrote for the school paper there, and and uh, so mostly a communications background. And I was working in in Cleveland um, at the auto show where where the uh, Lincoln Mercury and Ford would come in every year with with a mountain lion, the Lincoln Mercury Cougar. A lot of people would remember that. And, I do. Uh, yeah, and and so the merchandising manager, I was only working part time for Lincoln Mercury in the evenings. And he said, uh, your job is to uh, make sure the show goes well, the cars look good. The, the part that really appealed to me was the, I was single and the, the models who stood on the cars and, and did their talks. I had to uh, make sure they were on their cars and, and doing a good job. And then also, uh, I, there was a woman who had the Lincoln Mercury Cougar who was described as kind of a pain in the neck because she wanted so much for the cougar. She uh, wanted air conditioning, she wanted carpeting, she wanted a um, 24-hour guard, and so I was in charge of her, and that was Pat Derby. Um, and when I met her, um, I, I started helping her um, just uh, take care of the cat while she was in town, and, and the cat went up and did the shows, and. And uh, I, I did kind of wonder why a mountain lion was traveling around like that. Uh, it didn't. It didn't seem right to me. And um, so that was the beginning of it. I met Pat, and I came out to California, and she taught me everything she knew about uh, animals in captivity: the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, so I, I had a pretty good base. Um, I, you know, she was the reason I came out, and uh, the animals. Uh, when I found out how they lived, 
and how they, uh, what kind of caging they were in, you know, not mainly her animals, but other places that she took me. I thought this is this is something that would shock most uh, most people who watch TV shows, or or buy things because there's an animal in a commercial, or go to a movie with an animal in it, because I always thought, and I think everybody thought, that the animals that work in entertainment would be the best cared for animals, have the biggest, most beautiful cages, have uh, you know a limo driver driving them to the set have you know the the best care and the best treatment and the, the richest life and it was totally the opposite and I, I it, it hit me immediately that something was drastically wrong so from that point on your eyes were opened and uh, you and Pat became um, a working couple and from um, her work and your engagement in that pause started at a very humble beginning and uh, you have the background in construction and communications so um, what happened what was what was the beginning well the beginning was uh, Pat had written a book called the lady and her tiger which really was not an expose about the entertainment business but was perceived as an expose by most of the people who reviewed it and uh, it just told her story um, about being on the set with animals and other people who had animals and, uh, you know, big organizations like Disney and, and um, uh, Flipper and all the big TV shows back in those days. And I think it, it um, because it really wasn't uh, meant to be an expose, I think people, it was very believable and... She was a brilliant writer anyway, so it was a, a very successful book. And soon after that, we, you know, she was a persona non grata after the book came out in, in most Hollywood animal training circles. And, so, and she didn't care, you know, because uh, she really, I think, was looking for a way out of there. And we um, retired all of her animals soon after I came out because I, I didn't like it at all. And um, because you had to buy, you were part of the problem. You had to, if Lincoln Mercury wanted a baby bobcat because they have a bobcat car, um, you had to find a bobcat. So you were creating a market for animals that were just being produced by puppy mills. Uh, you know, it's not hard to breed bobcats. It's not hard to breed mountain lions. It's not hard to breed tigers. If you want one, you can get one if you have the permits. And it just... It just seemed like uh, there were throwaway animals, and it was it was not what most people would uh, expect. So we completely quit the business. And um, but a woman came to us that was working in Hollywood, almost exactly like Pat's story. And she came to Pat and said, "You know, there's some horrible things going on in Hollywood with animals." And Pat said, you know, I've written my book, I, we've done, we've banged our head against the wall for years trying to get things improved in, in Hollywood and in circuses and areas like that, and, and um, nothing has happened. And, and uh, so this, this woman really was the impetus to, uh, to start PAWS. Our friends that, uh, that also heard the story said, you know, you have to do something, and because you have the background and and you you uh, not you have the knowledge, so you have to uh, get back into it. So that's how Paws started. We went back to Sacramento. 
we got a law passed to help uh, improve the life of animals in captivity in California. And that was the beginning of PAWS. And it hasn't stopped from there. Um, it does not stop, no. So quickly, I just want to read the mission statement of PAWS. PAWS is dedicated to the protection of performing animals, to providing sanctuary to abused, abandoned, and retired captive wildlife, to enforcing the best standards of care for all captive wildlife, to the preservation of wild species and their habitat, to promoting public education about captive wildlife issues. So that's what this recent uh, conference was about, which was also dedicated to Pat. She passed away, um, a very sad and tragic story. But Pat, uh, excuse me, Ed has carried on, and he's doing an incredibly admirable uh, job. So, pause from this beginning, uh, it, from a, let's call it a non-expose that was treated as as an ex- expose, shining the light on cruelty has a tendency to either make it scuttle back into the darkness and go underground. So, um, what, what, how did you go about? let's say, investigating this and highlighting it to create and coordinate and collaborate with government agencies. You mentioned permits. Um, I'm aware that not everybody who keeps captive exotics has permits and that there's a very different um, differentiation between zoo, sanctuary, and um, private ownership. How did you bring all this together to create and advocate and change legislation? Well, we thought, um, you know, well, actually in the very beginning, our first law that we had passed was uh, that set a committee in California to advise the director of the Fish and Game Department on the uh, humane care and treatment of wild animals in captivity. It also outlawed pets. And uh, in order to have an animal in California, it had to be for a bona fide use. Now, that's where it got kind of muddy because they included circuses and movies as bona fide use. Um, But it did pretty much get rid of the pet industry in in California. But what happened was uh, we galvanized the opposition when we came up and and, uh, stuck our heads up and got some legislation passed. Because the the uh, roadside zoo people, the Hollywood animal trainers, the circuses, even some zoos, uh, all got together to oppose anything we did, and and uh, it was an incredible battle for the first uh, ten or fifteen years. Uh, we felt like <clears throat> we felt like we were really not getting very far because we didn't have much credibility. Uh, you know, we thought early on. Our plan was to have the zoos help us. You know, we we thought the zoos, with all the biologists, the zoologists, the experts, the scientists, the veterinarians, could look at, say, a circus and help us um, basically uh, regulate or set some strict guidelines or at least help improve the, the life of the animals that had to endure a life in the circus, which is something that uh, you should wish on no animal uh, living to live in a circus for its entire life. It's miserable. But the zoos didn't help us. Uh, that was, a, that was a, a real disappointment to Pat and me 
because we we thought they were the shining stars that could help us. And in 30 years, we have two zoos out of all of the zoos in the country that that we can call on to make a statement about, say, chaining elephants in the circus. And those two zoos are the Detroit Zoo and the Oakland Zoo. The rest of the zoos um, don't say a word. They don't help. I think they've become part of the problem. And um, and it would have been much, much easier to get the word out if, if they had helped us. Well, it sounds like, you know, David fighting Goliath. And it, it, unfortunately, it always comes down to money and who mm-hmm. has the clout and who is listening and who has an agenda. Um, right. Fortunately, what I did learn from the conference is that things are shifting. Oakland mm-hmm. Zoo, Detroit Zoo, they have two very different uh, views on the whole thing, which we learned at the conference, and um, uh, you know how animals and the purpose and their future in captivity. Let's let's go into that a little bit. So I understand pause, and your mission is to not have animals in captivity, especially megafauna uh, or charismatic species like elephants, and um, that if we cannot provide for these animals to thrive not just survive in captivity, then we shouldn't be keeping them in captivity at all. So um, how do you deal with zoos and the captive industry? Do they call on you at all? Are they willing at all to come in and and take your advice and upgrade their standards? Uh, Not much. No. No, they... uh... (laughs) And really, all, all we want to do is have a conversation. You know, we zoos are really the least of the problem in captivity. It's it's everything below a, a bona fide zoo uh, that really is um, in, where where most of the horror stories are. Uh, you know, elephants in the circus being chained up by their legs for you know fifteen, eighteen hours a day, tw- sometimes. 20 hours, 24 hours a day, uh, being addressed with weapons, you know, the bull hooks that uh, are used to uh, train elephants. Um, it, it just seemed like uh, we, that if the zoos had stepped in, it would have helped us so much. But what happened was the zoos kind of thought that it was going to be a domino effect. You know, first you get rid of pet animals, then you get rid of circus animals, then roadside zoo animals, and then zoo animals. So. And in- so what that, happened here was sort of, you know, an all-for-one, all-or-nothing kind of mentality. Uh, we need to cut away to a break really quickly. We're heading into a really the meat of this conversation. So stick with us. My guest is Pat Derby, co-founder and president of PAWS, the Performing Animal, Animal Welfare Society, and we'll be right back. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. 
Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World and my special guest, Pat, excuse me, Ed Stewart uh, of PAWS, Performing Animal Welfare Society. So during the first section, we got a little background of how Ed came to be uh, involved with PAWS, but PAWS has really taken off since those humble beginnings. And over the past 30 years, as Ed said, a lot of changes have happened, but it's also a very slow-moving train when you get butting up against agendas and pocketbooks that can afford to maintain these agendas. So um, what are some of the outreach programs that PAWS does to help engage the public to understand why we have to shift our mindset about animals in captivity? Well, I, I think one of the big ones was the conference. Uh, one of that, That's our biggest outreach. We've done several of those uh, over the past few years, and they've become you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it could have been any better at the uh, the conference. We we try to get uh, presenters that have different points of view. We we try to get them from different um, parts of the world with different projects. So it's a really broad look at uh, at not only animals in in captivity, but also uh, animal projects in the wild. And that's um, that's a very important link, which you made very you personally and the conference made very very clear, which was an eye opener for me. Uh, I had not spent a lot of time and attention on the captive wildlife issue because I'm uh, against it. Um, mm-hmm. ca- captive wildlife to me is an oxymoron. Right. I think the captive. Uh, cousins of wildlife are just representatives and poor representatives of their wild uh, wild companions or co-patriots. So, um, yeah, the they confer- call them they they call them ambassadors. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, and, a slick word. It's, it's you know what we call them victims. Uh-huh. You, if you look at the if you look at the texture of an elephant's life in Kenya. You spend a day with with those elephants in Kenya, with in Amboseli, with Cynthia Moss, or, or with Joyce Poole, or 
a scientist who who really studies them. Um, it, it's an incredible experience. Um, you know, I've never been there, but uh, but the way they describe it, and even the videos and all of the knowledge that they have, and then you you juxtapose that to a an elephant in a, a zoo or a circus or even at our place. You know, we do the best we can. We have a nice area for the elephants, but we are not so arrogant as to think that we are meeting their needs. Um, you know, we take elephants that need a home. Um, we don't breed elephants. We don't promote having elephants in captivity. We look at these elephants like individuals that deserve the best life you can give them, even though you know it's not enough. There's no, there's no way to match their diet. There's no way to match usually their climate. They, you can't match their social life. You can't match their range. Uh, you you can't you can't have a, a matriarch who uh, has the knowledge to to lead the group, and and if you don't realize that, then um, you know I, I I can't imagine that people in capti- that have captive elephants can't understand that, because I always hear of uh, places that are building like the Los Angeles Zoo building a state-of-the-art enclosure for an elephant. As soon as it's an enclosure, it's not a state-of-the-art. You know, state-of-the-art <laughs> state means, you know, Botswana or Zimbabwe or, or Kenya, you know, or in India where, where the elephants have uh, open range. That's state-of-the-art and everything else is, is pretty dismal for an elephant. And I think... I think we're trying to give the public um, a real education <clears throat> about elephants and their problems, not just elephants, but all animals and their problems. Most of the problems uh, in the wild are not because they don't know how to breed. They all know how to breed. They'll, the elephants will fill up an area if it's, a, if it's good feed and, and no stress. Uh, they'll fill it up with babies. Um, but the problem is almost always economics you know the the land that on which the elephants live is more important for the economy of the people instead of the elephant and that's where the problem is in india the elephants raid crops because there are people farming right on the edge of the forest and the elephants walk into the into the crops and eat the crops and that's where the conflict is the same thing is happening now in, in Africa at a much higher rate, uh, the human-elephant conflict. So captivity isn't going to solve that. And so we tried to get that point across that you could have 500,000 elephants in captivity. Not one of them is going to go back to the wild. There's no plan to ever put a captive elephant especially in North America back into the wild. There's no plan ever to do that. So every Every elephant baby who is born into captivity in North America is going to live its entire life in a big cage, small cage, whatever it is, um, in a fence, and it'll die in a fence. And if it has offspring, those offspring will die in a fence. It's it's um, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy for for the individuals. Yeah. 
the it's, individual animals is what we're right. referring to. And it's it really comes down to us changing our mindset. It's interesting you met, mentioned Joyce Poole. I just had a conversation with her and what is happening on the wild side. And mm-hmm. even with all the issues, problems, and destructive uh, continuing of this agenda of elephants in captivity and all the associated stressors and problems that they have, elephants in the wild are facing crises. And um, there is right now a, a very small window of opportunity to keep, I think it's 20 baby elephants that have been captured, live mm-hmm. captured without killing the families in Zimbabwe to be moved to China. Uh, we yes. think it's China. Uh, and to, to live their lives in captivity. Um, this is something we, as the public, can stop. So right. this is what PAUSE is all about. And right. um, so tell and us that, some of the... Go ahead. Well, that that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, there were there was a group at the conference, and we're all working on that problem. It's, it's actually 34 ele- uh, baby elephants, plus many other animals, uh, lions and, and other animals that are going to be exported uh, that I can't even imagine taking an, a baby elephant. And, and we have elephants that were born in the wild, taken away from their families, put into a zoo or a circus, and then, uh, then they find their way here for one reason or another. And, and I look at each one of them and I think, you know, if they were still wild, they would have such a great life. And, and we do any every single thing we can do. I mean, this morning I was up. Oh, it's windy and pouring rain, and I I was worried because I couldn't find two elephants. I had to climb over the mountain and go look for them. And they were down in a ravine eating branches off the top of trees. And and uh, we and I realized that these ele- you can only do what what you can for them. Um, you you live for short moments where they act like an elephant, where they do something that resembles what a real elephant would do in the wild, and still realizing that there's just no way they should have ever been taken into captivity. So things like the 34 baby elephants going to probably Asia or maybe China is it just makes me sick that that those elephants are going to be kidnapped. And have to live a, just a horribly deprived life in captivity. It's especially sickening because in this day and age, here we are in almost 2015, we have decades, you know, 50 years, 30 years worth of research of understanding how complex, intelligent, emotional, communicative elephant society is, the matriarchal groups, the bull groups, and that we still continue in this day and age, our human mindset um, and our ability to disconnect with all this knowledge to continue what is really a deplorable practice. It really comes down to us having a choice and making a choice of how we want to how we want to treat the rest of our non-human fellow earthlings. Right, yeah, so, those, those babies, those babies are, you know, unfortunately you can't sell a ticket to conservation. You know, people who are out there in the field like Joyce and, and uh, you and, and Cynthia and everybody who works so hard uh, in the countries, uh, the range countries for these animals, um, 
you know, there's really no money in that. There's, you know, Cynthia Moss has been using an outdoor latrine for 40 years. But if she were, if she chose to work in a zoo, she would have had a great retirement. She would have been, it would have been prestigious. It would have been, you know, I, I really give, you know, like Jack Hanna, for instance, makes a lot of money doing, doing uh, talks about uh, animals in, in, you know, presentations where he takes animals on stage on leashes and, and uh, while well, Cynthia Moss is out there doing the hard work, and it really is, uh, it, it's something that I think we should all kind of step back and take a look at because, you know, those elephants are going to make somebody a lot of money. They're going to sell a lot of tickets because those baby elephants are going to be in zoos in, in whatever country they wind up in. And um, unfortunately, um, you know, it's happened many times before. We have African elephants that have all been yanked out of different places in, in um, you know, Zimbabwe, uh, Swaziland, uh, Mozambique. We have one from South Africa. It's, I, w- I just wish we could take them all back. Well, there are just... There are some. There is some good news. There are some projects on the ground. You had the opportunity to meet a very good friend of mine, Tony Fitzjohn, mm-hmm. that has pioneered rewilding uh, large animals, rhinoceros right now. Um, hopefully we can move that to elephants. I don't know. But um, in terms of some of the work that you're doing uh, to engage our mindset and shift this attitude of our human relationship to the rest of our non-living beings, we have to start somewhere. And we have to shine the spotlight on one issue that will grab the public attention. And the the issue that Paws pioneered was of elephant handling and the no bull hooks. So by mm-hmm. starting at that legislation, um, help us understand by starting at this one little point, which would seem rather innocuous, how that grows and really engages the public to understand the fuller issue? Well, I think uh, for, you know, basic training, mostly for Asian elephants, are are the ones that are used in performances in, say, circuses. Um, And they've been, for about 5,000 years, trained brutally, uh, broken brutally. I've seen it uh, happening in India. It's videotaped it, documented it. It's uh, with baby elephants, and it is just horrible. They um, call it the crush crate. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, you know it's it's torture. It's basically torture. I mean, you know, there's no way around it. It's confusing. It, you break their mind and you break their body, and you turn them in. You take away any elephant behavior they might have, and you reinsert a program that makes them a machine. You know. And you talk about it in terms of this dominance-oriented relationship we have with oh, yeah. animals. Right. Well, yeah. I don't know why elephants are so tolerant of the abuse that they have taken over thousands of years, but but somehow they put up with it. And um, the the bullhook is is an implement that. Uh, resembles you know a fireplace poker or a, an axe handle with a point and a hook on it it's it's a weapon if you tried to get on an airplane with it you'd wind up in Guantanamo Bay I mean it's absolute if you walk down the street of any city in this country uh, 
with an elephant bullhook in your hand, you would be stopped and questioned, no doubt about it. Um, but right in front of children in a circus, they will allow these people to use them on elephants. And the the reason they respond to the bullhook is because of the training. It's all fear and pain. And to avoid the pain, the elephants will comply with whatever the trainer wants and they don't have to they don't have to hit the elephant in front of the crowd because they've hit them so many times behind the scenes that the elephant knows what would happen if if he or she didn't perform properly and i think i think the the more you know about it the the less you would i i don't think many people want to go to the circus anymore anyway because it's just demeaning to every you know to the animals and even some of the people, but uh, but with with the bullhook, um, it, it's coming to light now uh, how how bad of an implement it is. Los Angeles, uh, the city of Los Angeles has outlawed it, and then two nights ago, Oakland outlawed it. So uh, the city oh, of Oakland, the city of Oakland, which is just, where the Oakland Zoo resides, right? And we all got together. Um, we did a press conference over there, and people came in and testified, and it was a five to do to five to two vote in Oakland to um, ban bullhooks in Oakland. So, what that means is that um, it's going to be hard to bring elephants into uh, the city because the only way you can control them is through fear if they're out in the open. You know, we work a totally different way with the elephants. Um, we it's a reward system. Uh, we've never used a bullhook, and I've been around elephants for almost 40 years now, and never even held one in front of an elephant. And uh, you can get them to come and do any husbandry that you need them to do through. Uh, it's called target training. It's just conditioning, and they're so intelligent, and they they choose to participate and. Half the zoos in the country are using it, and all of the sanctuaries, um, the real sanctuaries, are using it. And it's uh, just a safer way for the people and a much better way. You can, I can go down there. We have a 12,000-pound bull elephant uh, over the mountain here, and I could drive down there right now, and in five minutes we could get a blood sample from him. And all you, you chop up apples and and you get the targets and the little whistle and he'll come over put his ear out you stick him and and he'll do it every single time it just uh, goes to show that the carrot will always pay off better than yeah, the stick yeah. and I'm, we need to cut away to a break um so once again stick with us with this fascinating conversation with ed stewart you're listening to our wild our wild world and we'll be right back Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as the show is often hosted by national experts in the fields of leadership, teamwork, management, corporate responsibility, accounting, governance, 
finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be more trustworthy. Your hosts are trusted professionals with years of experience in applying strategies with today's leading organizations. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. It's time to take a new look at some of life's changing moments. It's time to listen to an expert who has been there and can provide insight through experience, studies, and enlightening guests. Tune in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Host Lindsay Levinson takes a look at relationships, parenting, health and wellness, divorce, depression, sexuality, philanthropy, and mental health. You'll look at everything you know in a different way. Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets, airs Wednesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back with my guest, Ed Stewart, co-founder and president of PAWS. Um, we have so much information to cover, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, I hope you listened to the previous two sections and you're staying tuned. So we just barely began to touch on um, the captive issue, but what really is at core here is the accessibility of exotic species and uh, the, the lack of um, controls in place that anyone, anywhere, can buy or purchase an, a captive exotic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, there is a definite underbelly to, and that, that's one of the things that shocked me when I started this uh, with Pat a long time ago, that uh, how easy it was to get animals. Uh, you know, the people breed them. It's puppy mills for, for animals. We have a bear uh, that came out of um, um, a flea market in Ohio it was sold for sixty dollars at a flea market in Ohio, and it's uh, astonishing how easy it is to get these animals. And I, you know, one of the things that I say all the time is, you never find anybody who has a kid at Stanford with a lion in their backyard. You know, usually it's somebody who doesn't have a plan for their own life. They think it might be fun to have a, a bear as a, a, a funny little pet, but they don't take into account that it's a, number one danger. I mean, very dangerous, extremely dangerous, especially around kids. Uh, it's expensive, and it's going to be around for 30 years. 
I mean, the bear probably will live somewhere around 30 years in captivity. So it, it's it's an incredible commitment. It's it's sort of you know a misguided attempt of, of our 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 human mindset that we want to love and own a piece of the wild and that it loves us back without right. really considering the consequences of yeah. this love is really loving them to death. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I when, when actually when people apply for a job here and. And they say, well, I've always loved animals. I, you know, I would much rather them say, I have a great respect for animals. Very yeah. good point. Great empathy for poor for animals that are stuck in captivity. I mean, really, I, I probably, I probably am the most anti. I'm not anti zoo. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not anti people in zoos. I'm just anti-captivity. I'm anti-circus, anti-zoo, anti-us. You know, uh, we are trying desperately to put ourselves out of business. I would love it if there were no more phone calls for elephants that needed a, a home that had been abused, tigers that are left, you know, abandoned somewhere at a roadside zoo. I would love that. I'm looking forward to the day where that doesn't happen. I, I think pretty soon with the, uh, especially with things like Blackfish that just came, you know, the, the uh, documentary Blackfish about about Orca, I think we're in kind of a, an age of enlightenment where people are starting to understand that something is horribly wrong. If you go somewhere and you think something might be wrong with the, the situation for captive animals, you're right. There is something definitely wrong about keeping an animal in a cage. Uh, they're they're unemployed. They're you every single thing that uh, our tigers, for instance, here need. We have to provide it. We have to provide shelter. We have to provide security, food, water, space. There they shouldn't be dependent on humans for anything. The tigers are the most independent animal probably in the world and capable of taking care of themselves just perfectly. But in captivity, it's uh, it's really, really sad. I mean, I, when I see somebody hold up baby tiger cubs on the news and talk about some roadside zoo that had tiger cubs and what a great thing it was, I just look at those three tiger cubs and think they're going to be in a cage the rest of their life, and I, I feel sorry for them. That brings up a really good point. Um, when someone in the public, our listeners, no matter where you are around the world, if you see something that feels wrong, as Pat just said, it I'm sorry, Ed just said, <laughs> it is wrong. Report it. When you see what you feel is wildlife crime or an mm -hmm. abuse or cruelty uh, situation of a captive animal or you see something online or in your local newspaper of an animal for sale, report it. Who do we report it to? Well, you can report it to us um, and you can report it to your local um, uh, police and animal control um, you know, any of the agencies, even sometimes it gets lost in USDA because USDA is so so big, but sometimes they appreciate a call because uh, it's hard to track some of these people. Um, you call somebody. If, if nothing happens, call us or, or e um, email us. 
and uh, and, and, you or could, get it. and our our listeners can find more about pause at www.pauseweb.org so right. if you feel your local um parks association association department of wildlife uh local forestry usda service government agency whatever um alphabet soup they are if they're mm-hmm. not responding or you feel they won't respond for from previous experience of anything excuse me, then call PAUSE. PAUSE has the the credibility, they have the veracity, they have the ability to gain the attention of the um, proper authority to do something about it. It is important. Don't feel like you can't do anything because every little action takes uh, makes a difference, and it is up to us to do this. Otherwise, right. it stays in the dark. Right, and and absolutely don't take your kids to anything that has uh, wildlife, uh, a traveling wildlife show. Tell uh, us a little more about that. I think this is a really important point, and you made a statement. Um, you were an excellent moderator, and I loved how you constantly brought the panels back to the wild. What is your rewilding plan? How do you want our kids to think about these animals? And you said, what is the picture we want our children to have in their mind? A picture of an elephant dressed up, standing on its head on a barrel, or the picture of an elephant strolling through, let's say, Ambicelli? So tell us a little more about what we, as adults, can um, manage and uh, help our children understand this difference. Well, I think, you know, the best way, it, it's funny, I went to the to the Los Angeles Zoo, and um, there were hundreds, thousands of people there, and it was so loud and chaotic. And the lion was 20 feet away from the crowd, and people were paying no attention, they were making fun of the lion, they were laughing at it when it urinated, it was it just total disrespect. And... I thought, you know, a kid growing up in Africa or a kid growing up in India with with tigers and elephants, they have total respect for for those animals because there's no fence. As soon as you put a fence between a child, any kind of a barrier between a child and an animal, they don't have to respect that animal anymore. And ironically, after the lions... We walked through an area where they said, be, be on the lookout for rattlesnakes. There are rattlesnakes here. Uh. It was a totally different feel. All the kids were very careful. They were watching. They were looking. They were respectful. They were because there might have been some consequences uh, in, in their own backyard with a rattlesnake. Um, and and I, I, think, I agree yeah. with you there, because as soon as I'm out in the wild in Africa, it's a whole different feeling. You yeah. need to keep your stupidity factor in check because it can kill you. Right, right. Uh, they're in ch- you're not in charge anymore in the wild. And I think I think that just, just the fact of having an animal in a cage teaches children disrespect, you know. Uh, and, I, and I also think that it's not an educational experience, Um you know, most kids can tell you more about dinosaurs right now than they can tell you about. They they can't tell an Asian elephant from an African elephant, but they can tell you everything about a dinosaur. Huh. And it's because they read about dinosaurs, they study dinosaurs. There is a, a traveling show now, thank God, and Pause is buying a lot of tickets for underprivileged kids here in Sacramento 
to go to the dinosaur show. No, thank God, no dinosaurs are in. If if uh, if there was a dinosaur, believe me, one of these big circuses would have it standing on its head in the middle of an arena uh, and call it entertainment. It's so. You don't have to, you know, the argument that you have to go and see it and touch it and, and experience it. I mean, people can can understand what an elephant is through study. And you don't really have to go uh, to Africa to understand it. Um, you can read about it. You can see videos of the wild. You can watch webcams. There are a million ways to do it now without having to keep an elephant in a horrible barren cage for its whole life. And that brings me to another really important uh, panel that you had at the conference, which is we really no longer need to use live animals in media advertising. Mm -hmm. As you'd said, the Ford Mercury commercials, our technology is such now uh, that we can uh, computer generate every aspect of an animal without Mm -hmm. ever using a live animal and um, PAWS promotes this a lot Uh, once again uh, if you have the opportunity to attend a PAWS conference if you're nearby or far I don't care it's worth going because your eyes will be opened to the multitude of issues that surround and are a result of keeping wildlife in captivity so um, we've covered that Keeping animals in captivity is not an educational experience for children, although a lot of zoos are reorienting their habitats to provide, uh, as I had a conversation with Steve Ross, that Mm -hmm. animals need to thrive. If we can provide thriving uh, circumstances for animals in captivity, then perhaps it may be okay but um, we do have to get away from this concept of animals in captivity. So we have a few minutes left here. What would be the main thing and any further important information or outreach or conferences that you have coming up uh, for our audience to take away today, beside well, everything we've just talked about for the last hour? Yeah, I think, uh, I think all, we, you know, our issue is, uh, is a common sense issue. And, you know, it's the welfare of animals that can't take care of themselves because they're in captivity. And really, for 30 years, all we've really wanted to do was discuss it, have a level playing field where we can uh, talk to experts, talk to other people, talk to the circuses, talk to zoos. And, um, you know, it just hasn't happened. And I think I think. The, uh, the AZA is the, the zoo association, and I think, you know, they, have, they have, are much more closely aligned to circuses than they are to sanctuaries. And I, I just think they're making some big mistakes, um, and I think they're, they're, you know, they're worried about the domino effect. I think what's going to happen is they're going to disappear because they have, haven't evolved. The you know, zoo I, hasn't evolved. Yeah, well, you know, the zoo mentality. individual zoos have have changed and evolved some, but I think the overall association, the whole overall trade association of the zoos in North America, is uh, it isn't what uh, what people would think. You know, it's it's all about uh, selling tickets, making money, 
having uh, captive animals in the future so there can be zoos. I think zoos are going to have to evolve to the point where keeping animals isn't the biggest thing that they do. I, I mean, I have the greatest respect for um, the uh, Wildlife Conservation Society from the Bronx Zoo because they actually go out and do programs in the wild to help animals. I don't think you need to keep animals in cages in New York to do that. Um, you know, I think we could get rid of the animals in cages and still actually be much more effective at working on uh, on the real problems of animals in the wild. It's it, we're, I think we've been shooting at the wrong target for a long time. So I think it, in a in a summary, um, we could say the business of profiteering from animals in captivity to entertain us is not working. We need to shift our mindset and that comes down to each and every one of us and the choices we make every day. And if you do visit the local zoo, then you should do your due diligence and ensure that the zoo is following its the accreditation guidelines. If it's not, then report it. And um, be aware. Yeah. And, and ask them what they think of the circus, you know, at, at get make them stand up and, and take a position on not just the animals that they have, but the animals that are running all over this country in horrible conditions. I, I think some at some point they're going to have to stand up and and uh, and start talking about that. Well, I think you just summed it up. If they can't sell a ticket, whether it's industrialized CAFOs and food and the disconnect we have to where the animals that this food comes from to the animals we have in entertainment, that if we make that connection and we stand up and we don't buy it, then they can't sell it. So it is up to us and organizations like PAWS to um, educate and make people aware. So uh, we're out of time today. Pat, I, I'm sorry. I keep saying Pat. Okay. Ed, you're almost interchangeable. Um, I think we, we were for a long, 37 <laughs> years we were, yeah. Uh, so we're out of time today. This was an enlightening and educational conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I know you need to get back. There's some elephants probably looking for you. And um, thank you. And uh, the, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, and this is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.